0: Hello, my name is Tim Tedder, counselor and creator of AffairHealing.com. This is part one of a two-part discussion I had with counselor Jennifer Gingras about Esther Perel's book, The State of Affairs, Rethinking Infidelity. You can get a link to this book by going to AffairHealing.com books. This Recovery Room podcast is just one of the resources we make available to anyone who needs to heal from wounds of infidelity. To find out more about our free first aid course, other recommended books, phone coaching that's available to you, or to join our mailing list, simply go to AffairHealing.com and you'll find plenty of information there. Now, let's get on with the discussion. Welcome to The Recovery Room, a podcast presented by AffairHealing.com. Here are your hosts, Tim Tedder and Jennifer Gingras. Well, Jennifer, you and I have both read Esther Perel's latest book, The State of Affairs. And I've talked a little bit about it, but not a whole lot because we wanted to save it for the podcast. <laughs> Let the listeners join us in the room as we discuss some of our impressions of the book. And I think what I'd like to do, um, you and I have talked about some of the things that stood out to us and we were certainly in agreement. We had Mm -hmm. some things in common, some things were a little bit different, but I'd like to go through and talk about some of those highlights and just have a discussion about them. And instead of going chronologically through the book from chapter one to the end, uh, maybe jump around to some of the different topics and we'll bring them up, talk about them a little bit. So let's start with one of those things that I've always recognized as a focus of Esther Perel, and that is the importance of finding meaning behind the affair.
1: Yeah, I think it's really important.
0: A lot of times, especially when you're dealing with the expectations of betrayed spouse and injured spouse, and frankly, looking at a lot of the literature that's out there about affair recovery, it seems to reduce affairs to a very black and white story Mm. of betrayal. And the whole recovery is just dealing about this wrong that was done, correcting the wrong, admitting to what was done, making amends, and then reestablishing trust moving forward. Yeah. She talks about the importance of really understanding the meaning. And frankly, in our work, we do too. Yeah. I just don't know if it's always gets the emphasis in our podcasts and what we talk about as it should maybe, it certainly does in our therapy, mm-hmm. the why of the, an affair. Yeah,
1: I think the why is something that both the betrayed spouse and the betrayee are looking for and want to know Yeah, to make sense of what happened. Yeah,
0: if you don't know why, if you don't understand the meaning, if you don't understand those vulnerabilities that were present that made an affair choice easier for a particular person or at a particular time, then it's very difficult to measure what's different moving forward.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, the betrayed spouse kind of reacts to that sometime because it sounds like making excuses.
1: Justifications. You're yeah. just trying to make well, up some... You're just some... giving the
0: reasons why you couldn't help doing yep. this or something like that. And that's not... No. That's not our purpose. It's nope. not what you're doing. And yet to avoid that uncomfortable looking at some of the root influences and causes would really mean that you probably remain vulnerable moving forward. You, you miss some of the things you both need to understand in terms of growing.
1: And areas where you need to protect yourself in the future. Yeah. If you ever start to feel those vulnerabilities again, if you don't know what they are, haven't given attention to that, then yeah, like you said, you're vulnerable to, to it happening again.
0: Esther writes, once the initial crisis subsides it's important to make space for exploring the subjective experience of affairs alongside the pain they can inflict. Mm -hmm. What for partner A may have been agonizing betrayal was transformative for partner B. Understanding why the infidelity happened and what it signifies is critical, both for couples who choose to end their relationship and for those who want to stay together, rebuild, and revitalize theirs. I think one part of that that she says that can be sometimes challenging and difficult to explore is turning the attention away from just the pain that was experienced Mm -hmm. when the betrayal is realized to understanding those things that felt, hmm, she uses the word revitalizing. Transformative. uh, Transformative. Uh, Those things that felt beneficial Mm -hmm. and profitable and enlightening and all that stuff often talks about experiencing. Mm -hmm. And on the other side of discovery, it can be really tempting to just focus on the pain Mm -hmm. and stay there and, you know, what you need to do to help uh, bring comfort and relief to the pain and then go on to establish trust instead of exploring what this meant to the person that had the affair. Sometimes the meaning was just a drunken night of a stupid choice. Right. But sometimes it's much more than that. And when you minimize that meaning, they put that somewhere Mm -hmm. and it feels artificial. It feels false. And it doesn't really allow, I think, for bringing that truth into kind of a, a renewing of a marriage from a, Pained person's perspective that can maybe feel really threatening to even entertain the idea that there sure. was anything beneficial or good that came out of their experience of that affair.
1: Right, and, and here's when we say we're not saying you shouldn't give attention to the pain and, and of the no, betrayal. No, you should give that
0: attention that first. First, yes.
1: So this is what should maybe come next when you're in a more calmer state to talk about what it is that it meant, what it is they were looking for, and yeah, it can feel very threatening, yeah. especially to the partner who was betrayed. But I think like you were saying, if no attention was given to that, there's still a vulnerability that exists in the relationship. You're missing a piece to the puzzle.
0: Yeah, eventually when we get to the why question, sometimes I can be in a private individual session with the person that had the affair. And when they can speak openly and honestly without having to measure what the reaction of the hurt spouse Mm -hmm. is going to be, they can talk about the longing they felt. They can talk about some of the things that were explored in the affair, and I'm not talking just about sex stuff. I'm just talking about relational stuff that felt new to them, that felt important to them. And even if they are totally committed to coming back to the marriage, and that's what they want to choose, and they want to have a revitalized, restored marriage, there's a part of them that would like to explore bringing some of those things into their marriage too, the kinds of connections, the things that are meaningful to them. Mm -hmm. But many times the betrayed spouse doesn't even want to deal with that or talk about it. It can, I guess it can feel pretty threatening.
1: Sure. Especially because the response usually is, well, why didn't he tell me? Why didn't she tell me? Why, why wasn't I informed? Because I would have done whatever well, that's, I needed that's fair. to.
0: That's fair. They should have. That Maybe that would have been better. But here, we're where we are now. Right. What do you do with this moving forward?
1: And I think if you look at it from the place of, if we're trying to rebuild, if we're trying to reconnect learning about these things from our partner and having them be able to express that in a way where they feel safe, that can actually bring about a sense of connection a renewed connection in the relationship that maybe wasn't there before or things that were missing can actually be brought into this new relationship after the pain of infidelity.
0: Yeah, I think a healed marriage needs to be able to sustain that kind of communication. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it just gets delegated to this closet, this private place that, in my opinion leaves a little space for maybe vulnerability to appear in the future.
1: Absolutely. I agree.
0: Maybe one of the other fears is that, well, when they start talking about the meaning of the affair, it feels like a comparison between the affair and the marriage. Yes. And the betrayed spouse feels blamed. Oh, there's, you know, it was the things that were wrong about the marriage that you're saying caused you to have an affair. Well, I
1: think it's easy to take it personally. Mm -hmm. It feels very personal, obviously. But I think if you're able to take a step back, you realize it wasn't necessarily a personal thing. It was something that was going on within the betrayee that they weren't giving voice to, or they weren't communicating about that. Now that's what they're needing to work on.
0: Yeah. She, she talks about the tendency many times to, in counseling, just go after, Mm -hmm. well, what was wrong in your marriage? In fact, we get couples that come in that have gone to a marriage counselor after an affair and they might spend a session or less acknowledging the affair but then they just go into well let's talk about your marriage and, and why did the you not the failed and, yeah. well i mean they even if they don't say that it feels that way yes. oh it must have been about a bad marriage yes. and and she makes the point of and we recognize this too it's many times it's not about the marriage at all and other times that is part of the vulnerability that is part of the stuff that you have to give attention to it's not blaming that, but it can be too easy to just focus all your attention on. Well, let's fix the marriage so you don't have an affair.ian She gives an example here. I think I've heard this before, but it's been a while. She says, to doggedly look for marital causes in cases like these is an example of what is known as the streetlight effect where the drunken man is searching for his missing keys, not where he dropped them, but where the light is. Yes, Human beings have a tendency to look for things in the places where it's easiest to search for them rather than in places where the truth is more likely to be found. To put all the emphasis on a fair recovery as looking at the problems of a marriage and correcting those may miss the more significant issues that need to be addressed. Not all the time, but many times. That's true.
1: Yeah, she talks about it being the symptom theory is... An affair simply alerts us to a pre-existing condition in the relationship. So if we fix the relationship, we look at what was lacking in the relationship, we fix the problem. But she says, what happens when things don't fall into line with that? When they can say with truth and honesty that my relationship was good. We had a good relationship, and yet I still made this choice to step out of it. Mm-hmm. What do you do when you face with that situation? How do you find meaning in that? And I think that's what she's trying to say is you can't put everything in a box. Right. It's not always just about the marriage or the relationship. Well,
0: every marriage has problems. Even the really good ones do. Even those marriages that have maybe more significant problems, that doesn't always mean that those problems were the cause of the affair. Exactly. So, I mean, that's, I think, where counseling can really help to explore all the vulnerabilities, all the things that may have been in play and to address each of those. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what was being sought was not just an escape or relief from an unsatisfying marriage it was exploring something in the betrayer's life that they wanted to explore outside of the marriage and that's not that's a selfish choice sure it's a destructive choice but it's important to be honest about that and to look at that
1: yeah i th- I, I had underlined or highlighted this she said sometimes we seek the gaze of another it isn't our partner we are turning away from but the person we have become We are not looking for another lover so much as another version of ourselves. Mm. And I just thought that was so powerful. When you say it's not personal to the betrayed spouse, there's something that the betrayee is looking for within themselves that's either lacking or needs to be fixed. And they're doing that in an unhealthy way. So like she said, they're not turning away from their partner, but they're actually trying to turn away from the person that they are. They need to give attention to something that's going on within them Mm. personally.
0: Mm. Sometimes the tendency to skip over... Exploring the meaning. We've alluded to it a little bit before. The reason that's important for the involved spouse or the involved partner is so they can have a trust in themselves that if they're recommitting to a marriage, things that are important for them to understand in order to address change or boundaries or just to be honest with their partner, those things have been laid out on the table. So they have greater assurance that moving forward, they can be fully invested in this marriage. They don't leave anything hidden or unsaid in that. And probably for the injured spouse to really have a full insight, not just the comfortable information, to have a more nuanced and actually more honest consideration of what does this really mean Mm -hmm. to both of us will really help lead to a more stable healing moving forward. It's just not always comfortable to have those kind of conversations. I can
1: guarantee it's not going to be comfortable.
0: And again, you don't jump right into this part of it. No. In the beginning, it's just stabilizing, dealing with the trauma, dealing with the pain. Emotional
1: regulation. Yeah.
0: And the person that had the affair has a tremendous responsibility during that beginning part. She talks about the three stages of recovery being crisis, meaning, and then vision, I think. Mm. Those are incorporated in our five phases of affair, Mm -hmm. you know, relationship renewal as well. So at the crisis phase, you're not really exploring all of this stuff. But when that has settled to a place where things are more stable, it really is important to start exploring the meaning stuff. Absolutely. We began our discussion with the meaning of an affair, not because that's what appears first in the book, but because that's so much a core part of what she talks about and what she works with when she's dealing with couples in recovery and what she talks about through her podcast and video series. But earlier in the book, in dealing with the crisis phase, she talks about the roles that each partner plays in recovery. And I thought it might be helpful just to touch on that. I mean, something we've mentioned before, but it really is important to understand the unique part that each partner plays at that stage when the bomb has been dropped and dealing with the hurt and the pain and the guilt and the shame and all of those things. She writes, The early stages of post-affair therapy are highly volatile, to say the least. Weeks of careful reconstruction can crumble with one remark. Both are on edge, eyeing each other, Fearful of the next emotional blow. Man, we see that a lot with couples coming in really early in the whole process. Both of them probably wondering, is it even possible to survive this sort of thing? In fact, those that do survive and not only survive, move on to a different kind of renewed relationship, had to go through that kind of pain and turmoil Mm -hmm.
1: as well. I think the most important thing in the very beginning, when you mm-hmm. talk about the reaction phase, the bomb has been dropped. Emotions are high. She says, and which we agree with, the responsibility for repair lies primarily with the one who had the affair. Yep. If you've cheated on someone, it's hard to watch the suffering that you have caused and to give your partner the time and space to really grieve, knowing you're the cause of it. But that's exactly what you need to do. Mm -hmm. You need to let them be angry. You need to let them be upset. You need to let them grieve. And a lot of times the partner who had the affair, it triggers their own shame. It it triggers their own defensiveness. And so it's really hard to sit in that place knowing you're the one who's caused such an extreme reaction, such extreme pain. But yet it is so important that you're able to sit in that place for your partner. So
0: that is the ideal. It's the couple that comes in. It's the person who has been hurt, who has been lied to, who has been injured, is dealing with tremendous, traumatic pain and uncertainty in their life. And it's the person on the other side of the couch who has caused that pain because of their choices, being contrite, being remorseful, being attentive to the pain on the other side Mm -hmm. and wanting to reach in and bring comfort and relief to that. That's the ideal. And sometimes we see that happening right off the bat, and when sometimes. we see it, when we see it, we go, "Okay, well, good. We're we're <laughs> we're we're on the right path here. There's not. We don't have to do work in getting them to this space. Yeah. But you said sometimes. Sometimes. sometimes that's not where things are. Now it's pretty standard that the one who's been injured is. Hurt and angry.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. There's
0: yeah. not much variation from no. that. But we see a lot of variation on the other side of the equation. The it person happened. that had the affair.
1: Yeah. How the betrayee is reacting to the discovery into their partner's pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So instead of being contrite and remorseful and broken and empathetic and comforting and all of those things, sometimes they can be defensive. Angry. Angry themselves.
1: I think sometimes they almost give voice to their own pain first. Mm-hmm. They give attention to what they were going through or mm-hmm. what they thought they were missing without recognizing the damage they did to their partner. Well,
0: here's the thing. They're ready to move on to the meaning of the yes. affair right now because they've already experienced the affair. Yes. You can't do that. You have to put that on hold because now you're dealing with a partner who didn't go through the affair, didn't have that experience, and they have to go through it now. Yes. They have to go through the processing of that. And that's going to take a while before they're really able at the place to listen to your conversations, your insights into what that meant to you.
1: Yeah. She also says holding space for their pain is important Mm -hmm. and physically holding them is equally so. Mm -hmm. If of the partner's in a place where they're open to that, but there has to be space where the betrayed spouse can give voice to their pain, can give voice to the hurt and feel like they're being heard and being validated and not hear, oh, woe is me or anger or justifications in response to that. Right.
0: Another difference that sometimes we see is the one who had the affair being shut down. Mm. Either out of shame yeah. or out of grief. Because if there was strong emotional attachment, uh, it's not likely that that just instantly goes away. Even right. if they're committed to move out of that affair relationship and want to be part of healing their marriage. They're looking at their own pain. Which, listen, that's not illegitimate. That's real mm-hmm. pain. And it has to be addressed, honestly. If, if the expectation is you need to just deny that and just call it for what it is, bad, sinful, selfish choice. And it doesn't matter what you feel. That's not going to help in the healing of this. But at the same time, that is something they probably need to deal with individually, a little bit more privately, Mm -hmm. get some support, counseling, whatever, because your injured, hurt spouse is not at the place where they can be very empathetic or comforting to you.
1: Nor should they be at that time. Another thing that the partner who had the affair needs to do is they need to be the one that takes on the role of remembering and holding the affair in awareness. What does that mean? So it means the betrayed spouse should not always be the one that has to initiate conversations. Mm -hmm. They should be allowed to ask questions. They should be allowed to obsess for a certain period of time, and things shouldn't be swept under the rug. The person who had the affair should be the one to ask, hey are you struggling today? Is yes. there anything that I can do to help you feel better? Yep. Any questions I can answer that right. you've been on your mind and instead of acting like it never happened or yeah. just waiting for somebody else Can't to say Can't you just something. get over
0: this and yeah. hoping it never comes up.
1: If you take that burden off of the betrayed spouse shoulders, that can help move forward the recovery. Yeah.
0: We've recognized that a lot. Yeah. That, that helps diminish the need for them to keep bringing it up. It's going to still take a while. Sure. Now make one thing very clear. Esther Perel is an agreement with us. And I think with any other professionals that work in this area, that the kinds of conversations you have about infidelity need to be carefully stepped into. Sure. There is information that's damaging. There are details that are going to hurt you and not help you moving forward. So she's very clear about that. Mm -hmm. We're very clear about that. Had a client come in the other day that said, now my wife is starting to ask detailed questions about the affair, things that I'm willing to be honest about. But frankly, I'm afraid that when she knows the details of where we've Mm. been, you know, how long sex went on between us, the certain dates where things happened, that once she knows those things, she'll never be able to really forget them or get over them. And I agreed. And I said, your willingness to be honest is good, but I'd also encourage great caution in answering those mm-hmm. and encouraged him to say, listen, I will be truthful about anything you decide ultimately you need to ask, but we need to get this time. And I want us to go talk to a counselor or, you know, have an agreement in how these things are going to be addressed rather than whatever comes to your mind, you demand, I immediately give you the truth right. or else we're done.
1: Yeah. And I think what's important too, is he be the one that initiates some of those conversations. So it makes the betrayed spouse feel like you're not trying to hide or minimize anything that's going on because you're the one that's giving attention and awareness to something that the betrayed spouse is obviously thinking about. They're never not thinking about it at this point. They they don't want to do, you never
0: want to have those conversations. You're looking forward to the day when we don't have to talk about this anymore. But yes, take the responsibility of initiating them when you're hoping there's nothing to talk about, but there is always going to be something to talk. Well, for a while at
1: least. Yeah, and they're always thinking about us. So if you, th- I think a lot of things we hear, or at least I hear from my clients, is well, if she's having a good day and not thinking about it, I don't want to be the one to yeah. bring it up. But the truth is, they're thinking about sure. it. Sure. It's always there at this stage. So you bringing it up just is a way of actually rebuilding trust, I think, yeah. because you're willing to give attention to it. Yeah,
0: and, and I think that an injured spouse. When they're having a day, when they're kind of holding it together and things are relatively, you know, peaceful and good, when their partner in those moments steps in and says, "Hey, how are you doing? Is there anything you want to talk about?" I mean, there's usually a recognition that that's a big risk for them. That's not something that they that they enjoy asking, and they're probably hoping the answer is no, everything's fine. (laughs) But I think that those kinds of vulnerable interactions really do help establishing of trust and tamping down the questions and the emotion and the fears and all of that.
1: Yeah. But I think what you touched on just a minute ago too, is the betrayed spouse has their own work to do, Mm -hmm. their own role in this. And part of that is being really mindful of the questions you're asking, how much detail you get, because you have to live with the answer. So part of the role the betrayed spouse has is protecting their own hurt. Yeah. Am I adding to my own hurt by learning information that I don't need to
0: know? Yeah, I, it, it feels like I need to know it right now because right. there is that temporary relief of, OK, I've got the answer to that thing that I keep wondering about, imagining, you know, my imagination can go to extremes. And so it feels like relief. OK, you've, I finally got the accurate picture of what went on there. The problem is you have an accurate picture of what went on there that will never go away. Yes. It can diminish somewhat, but that will always be there. That fuzzy wondering in time, that will settle down. Absolutely, And you will be able to deal with it very differently because it doesn't matter. You're learning to reconnect. You're learning to trust or you're ending a marriage. Either way, you can move on from right. it. But once you have the detail, it will always be in your way. And there is so much said and written about this from therapists and counselors who work in this area, that are the cautions, that are the, there are things you should not be asking. There are conversations you should not have. And yet it is probably one area that we tend to get a lot of pushback from yes. saying, well, that may be true of everybody else, but, but not I need to know it. And I just want to come back to the point that, that we've said before, and I'm probably going to say it many times again in the future. I've never had a client come back to me afterwards, a betrayed partner or spouse, six months three years down the road to say you know what tim we're doing pretty well and i'm healing but i really wish i would have asked more details
1: (laughs) doesn't happen (laughs) plenty of
0: people on the other hand that say you know we're doing pretty well but man i'm struggling with things that i wouldn't be struggling with if i hadn't asked those details i wish i hadn't asked those but they jump so quickly into those conversations and our encouragement if you're listening to this now and you're at early stages Write your questions down, the things that feel important and necessary. Put them in a place so you don't forget them, but give it time for your own sake. Give it a little bit of time.
1: Well, I think what you said is really important. It's for your own sake. You're not doing this to protect the spouse that had the affair. You're doing this to protect your own self from having to remember things that are not important in the long run. Right. Whether you're in the marriage or not, you mm-hmm. don't need to know some of those details. Esther Pearl also mentions two other things the betrayed spouse is responsible mm-hmm. for. The first thing is to begin to curb angry outbursts. Okay, yeah. And I like what she says, because she says, it's not because they're not unjustified. They are. But because they will not give you what you're really looking for. Right. They're not going to get you any closer to that goal of either reconnection in the marriage or healing on your own.
0: Right. If that's the goal, then every... Anger outburst out of control is going to evoke either a defensive or fighting back, you know, response.
1: Yeah. So it becomes the betrayed spouse's job to get a handle on those emotions, even though they're justified, mm-hmm. even though they're very real. At some point, there should be a decrease in those angry outbursts. Well, it's
0: the it's the, the, the real justified emotions behind the anger, which is anger is not a bad thing. Sure. It just can, if it's, if it controls us, it could become bad. But the real honest emotions behind it we call them the fishy emotions yes. the underneath the bobber of anger, right. are fear, inhibition, or the feeling of powerlessness because mm-hmm. I can't get what I need or want. Um, shame, guilt, embarrassment, fit sense of failure. And then the last thing is hurt or pain. Mm. Uh, that's the stuff you need to talk about because when you talk about those things, you have a partner that can come in and try to give comfort and relief to those fear, inhibition, shame, hurt, because those are vulnerable expressions. They're, they're things of need, right. but anger is just a I'm staying in control and I am going to (laughs) hurt you. Just like
1: you hurt me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We would never say that to someone coming in at the beginning of discovery and go, hey, stop being angry. I mean, I mean, you're, you're reacting to trauma in that moment. Yes. There are going to be outbursts, and everybody's got a different personality. Everybody comes with a different pattern already in the way they deal with anger. So For some, it's going to be very natural for them just to be having a mm-hmm. lot of outbursts. Others, their anger may just take them very inward and just be cut off. You should not try to overly regulate that at the beginning. Right. It needs to probably just happen. Yes. And that's where the unfaithful spouse partner needs to give room for that and allow it to happen.
1: Right. Which is what we had talked about, what their job is and what their role is, is to give space for that and time for that. And the time for when those should start decreasing is probably different, like you said, for everyone based on personality and Mm -hmm. all that. But at some point,
0: point. at some
1: point it has to start decreasing and it's the portrayed spouse's job to get a rain on those. Absolutely.
0: If when we're dealing with couples that, you know, months down the road, it's still happening at similar intensity and frequency, then something's not Right there, yeah. you know. And, and in fact, we've had couples that years later, same kind of outbursts yep. are going on. Well, the healing's not taking place there, and the betrayed spouse has responsibility in that change. You mentioned something else too.
1: Yeah. So the the third thing or last thing that she talks about is in the wake of betrayal, we need to find ways to restore our own sense of self worth. And we talk about this a lot mm-hmm. in counseling. That even if you don't move forward in the marriage you still have a responsibility to yourself to rediscover what you're passionate about, to rediscover your own hobbies and interests um, and not let this infidelity or this affair define who you are moving forward. And what I really like that she says is she says, you're not a reject, although part of you has been rejected. You are not a victim, although part of you has been abused. You're also loved, valued, honored, and cherished by others, although you may not feel that in this moment. So, I think what she's trying to say is reach out to friends and family member, mm-hmm. find support while you're going through this. Don't let this be so all consuming that you don't do your own work.
0: Yeah. And in some situations, the involved spouse is really being effective in speaking into that, mm-hmm. trying to assure the one who is betrayed that you do have value. This is, this is how and why I love you and, and, and that's great when that happens. It doesn't always happen. Yeah. And so if you're looking for the value in what the person who hurt you is able to say to you and assure you in a way that you actually believe, man, there's some instances where you're never going to get that.
1: So it becomes your responsibility to do it for yourself. Yeah. Or else you've forever fact, broken.
0: That should be more important anyway. What I, you, what you yes. really believe and learn about your, yourself and your value and your worth should be there regardless of what your spouse is saying about you or what their actions seem to tell you about you.
1: Yeah, it's it's your job to give space for that, Mm -hmm. to really start to look at what's important to you that maybe you've been neglecting for years because of the relationship or because you're a parent. But I think it is one of the most important responsibilities the betrayed spouse has or else you're forever defined by somebody else's poor choice.
0: Well, I hope you benefited from the first part of our discussion of Esther Perel's book, The State of Affairs. The Recovery Room Podcast is a resource provided by AffairHealing.com. For more information about the podcast and resources for Affair Recovery, including archives of past programs and the schedule for upcoming ones, please go to AffairHealing.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Tim Tedder. See you next time.